Did you know that on our website, KLWN.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card too. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. All right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I am Derek Johnson. Going to be joined in about 25 minutes from right now by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. Going to talk more about the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic, which is happening next week. Uh, we're going to have a, a busy week of shows. We're going to be out at Jefferson's on Wednesday, so you can come by, win some free stuff. 50% of proceeds, if you uh, let them know what you're there for, are going to go to the Rock Truck Round Ball Classic. Thursday's the game. I have a pair of tickets that uh, I'm doing a giveaway for on social media. You still have time. I'm going to pick a winner for that at about 425 on today's show. But what you got to do, you go to my Twitter account, at Radio. Uh, there is a tweet with the giveaway for the tickets. Just retweet it. Be following me. I'm going to scroll through and pick a random winner at 425. I'll let you know who you are, and you'll get two free tickets to the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. I might get a couple more tickets uh, so we can do a giveaway if you come out Wednesday to to Jefferson's, uh, but be on the lookout for that. I wanted to start off today's show again kind of echoing more stuff about Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller returning to the fold for KU. Seems like everywhere you look, based on depending where you look, for preseason rankings, yeah, there's going to be a few outliers here or there. But for the most part, KU is probably seen as a preseason top eight team. I think that's the consistent number right there, top eight. Certain sites have them in that top three to five range, depending where you look. My eyes, I, I think they're closer to that like top five range. I, I haven't really like thought this through well enough to think, you know, where exactly would I put everyone and also it, I, I think college basketball, uh, especially, you know, college football, it, it matters a little bit more. Like where you start the season actually does tend to matter where you end up ranked. But regardless, um, college basketball, if you get a two seed or a three seed because you're ranked a little lower at the start of the season, it's like, who cares? Well, we, the path is still in front of us to win a title. You, you would rather be a higher seed and everything. Um, but the way I view it in college basketball as opposed to being like college football where it's like only the top four get into the playoff. In college basketball, it's just like, can you just be on on the same tier as those top teams, or at least on that secondary tier? You know, like headed into the tournament this year, KU was the third overall one seed. Um, If you were tiering teams out, I don't know, Gonzaga and Arizona like might have been tier one. 
Honestly, Kentucky might have been in tier one before the NCAA tournament started. And then you would add like Kansas and I don't know, like Baylor, Duke, like schools like that, as far as being like tier two for national title contenders. Be in those top couple tiers, be in that top, you know, a couple handfuls of teams to have a shot. And so I, I view it less from a standpoint of, oh, are they number four? Are they number five? Are they six? Are they seven? I view it more as like, are you in that same tier? Are you in that same group with those top teams that, yeah, maybe the overall body of work or maybe on Ken Palm or whatever, like that team is slightly better than you, but at least that you're in arm's length from each other that you know you can go on a run as deep as them or on any given night you can beat them. And so in some order, in my eyes, I, I kind of view like the top six. I don't know, maybe I'd go to seven if I wanted to throw in Arkansas, but this is like without any specific order, like Houston, Gonzaga, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Baylor. Like those would probably be the teams I would think of in kind of this top tier in that top six grouping. Again, maybe I would throw Arkansas because they have this great recruiting class and bring some guys back. Um, but the point is they're in that discussion. You know, like, what does that mean? Because I think sometimes you can get caught up too much in the fact that, oh, man, how are they not number one? Or if they're number five, does that mean they're not projected to make the final four? But I think the point that I'm trying to make here with the tiers and, and that just being in that top six group, it doesn't really matter whether you're third or seventh. Just be in that group that can earn as high of a seed as possible and legitimately contend for a national title. I mean, the 2008 national title team, heck, this year's team, this is one of our trivia questions. The 2008 national title team, the 2022 national title team, they spent a combined zero weeks during the regular season ranked number one in the AP poll. They were always kind of in that like two to, you know, in the case of 08, I think it was two to six range. In the case of this year's team, I don't remember if they ever got as high as two, but, you know, I, I guess probably up to like that 10 range. So just kind of be in that discussion. And that's all that matters here. And typically we we do enter the NCAA tournament with five to 10 teams who realistically can win a title. And, and that's the importance of having Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller, that those two guys, in the case of Jalen Wilson, coming back to KU, in the case of Kevin McCuller, coming back to college basketball to join KU, by them being on the roster, you go from being a team that I think probably the expectation there, if, if both of those go, or even in the case if, if just Jalen goes, maybe you're in that like 8 to 12 range. But now that they're there, you are kind of in more of that 3 to 8 range. And so typically if we enter the NCAA tournament every year, I think typically you can realistically say anywhere between like five to eight teams given on the year. Some years it's less than others who you realistically between how good they've been, their statistical profile, what they have done, uh, the eye test, the say it out loud test, like all these things that typically there might only be five to eight teams that we realistically go into the tournament saying, yeah, I, if this goes right for them, they can win a title. So the point is just be in that group, be one of those teams who has the best shot. And give yourself another good dart throw because that's what a lot of this is. It's not all random. You do make your way in a certain regard, but there is a bit of a luck element. There is a bit of a what's your draw going to be type of element that goes into this as well. Give yourself another good dart throw in the NCAA tournament. And by all accounts, I would think KU should be in solid positioning to do just that. 
you know, whether you think they should be preseason number three or number eight. Either way, wherever they're being viewed right now is in that group. And how much does this matter with the preseason rankings, the way too early rankings? It doesn't. You know, you think back to the 2018-19 team, right, where a team was, if not number one, number two, or number three in the preseason rankings. You had a loaded team. You had the Lawson Twins to a team that just made the Final Four. And then Yudoka Azubuki gets injured. You're undefeated with him. Um, that team ended up kind of falling off at the end of the season. They still ended up getting a four seed, but far from it. How much does that matter? I don't know. But I'd rather be in it than not be in it, if that makes sense. Like, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, but it does. I know that's very contradictory. You'd rather have it than not have it, right? So either way, Kansas has established themselves with those returning moves of Wilson and McCuller that they are in that group. And either way, you're going to have a path to a number one seed. It's you and Baylor who are seen as kind of the, I guess, co-favorites to win the Big 12. Both teams got a one seed this past year. Big 12 could be just as good this next season. You'd imagine whoever wins the Big 12 is getting a one seed once again. And again, you could have two teams from the Big 12 getting a one seed. They're going to have that path right in front of them. Um, And that's where you were this year. You were in that top three to ten range all year. And that gave them a shot. That's all they needed because... This team has potential to be in that range of having that shot once again, which, again, that's that's all you're asking for every year. That's all you're asking for in March. You get enough one seeds, you get enough two seeds, you make enough advancements in the NCAA tournament. Eventually, some of these things are going to start going your way, which is, I think, a big part of the 2021-22 season for KU. We've talked about this a lot. You know, the 2010-2011 the team, I, I don't know, I'm probably taking that team in a seven-game series over this one, but it doesn't matter because this is the one that won the title. And that is the beauty of Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller coming back. KU should be in that discussion once again. Another thing that Jalen returning does um, that didn't get to yesterday, just in terms of pure impact here, is it takes a lot of the pressure off the younger guys. We've kind of discussed over the the recent days and weeks how Jalen Wilson cements the automatic answer to questions you might have about who's going to be the leader of this team in scoring, who's going to be the vocal leader or the leader by example of this team. He answers those questions. And in the case of, of McCuller and Wilson, like the duo of those guys, it secures adding experience to an otherwise inexperienced lineup. And above all else, it just straight up guarantees you have two really good players on your team, which is the most basic way of saying it's great for KU's successes to have them back, right? But when you look at the potential roster, if they didn't have Jalen Wilson, there'd be a lot more questions about who the leading scorer would be if an unproven commodity at KU can live up to that, right? Because then you're talking about, well, Zach Clements or uh, Grady Dick or MJ Rice, guys that we think very highly of and think will have really good careers at KU, it's just unproven, which can be good or bad. And maybe more importantly, who would be the go-to option for KU if Jalen wasn't here? And both from a standpoint of, you know, who's the alpha, who's the number one option typically to not just you know, kind of have that guy, but to allow others to fall into certain roles because you know, 
okay, that's the guy. This is the role I need to play as opposed to everybody just thinking, no, I'm the guy. No, I'm the guy. I'm the guy, right? And also, you know, it's it's important to have him back because in regards to just having that top option, you look at for making the big play late in the game. And I don't necessarily, when I say that part, like I don't necessarily mean in terms of who takes the shot to win the game or to tie the game at the buzzer or, or who you're drawn up the play for at the end of the game. Because as much as we think back and go, oh, well, you know, obviously for this past year's team, like that would have been Ochag Baji, and it was in the case of like the Texas Tech game. Okay, what about the Iowa State game where it was Dewan Harris hitting the game winner at home? What about the Oklahoma game where it was Christian Brown hitting the big three in the corner? It's not always going to be that alpha, that guy who takes that final shot at the end, but it is probably going to be that guy who makes the play. So in those cases, Ochai makes the pass to Christian Brown. Ochai makes the pass to Dewan Harris. It's not that Jalen Wilson's going to get the final shot every time, but he's going to be the guy you count on and rely on to make the big play in the clutch. So I just mean from a standpoint of who can you trust to make that important play kind of down the stretch. And Wilson is that alpha and go-to type of guy. I don't have any question about that. He's a very confident dude, and I think that can pay off well in big moments because you're going to want that high level of, I guess, mental ability to withstand the moment, and I don't have any question that he can do that. And, I mean, it's not just like a hunch. Like, I think we have some proof of that happening in in past games over the course of Jalen Wilson's career. And so by having Jalen Wilson back, you know, that would be a question for next year's team if you didn't have him. But now he just slides again right into that guy and it becomes an, uh, a seamless and easier transition. I mean, we saw a lot of that, I think even more so probably in his redshirt freshman year than we did this past season. Because this past season, you have Ochag Baji looking like an All-American, or I mean, he was an All-American. Um, Christian Brown at times looking like an All-American. David McCormick, who we knew was was always going to be one of the top options of an offense. Remy Martin coming on late. He had so many guys. And so at times, like, it's not that you defer, but you have other guys who are getting opportunities just as much, if not more than you. His redshirt freshman year, because that KU team, I don't know, might not have been as good, and the, and the leader of that team was, you know, Marcus Garrett, who wasn't as much of an offensive guy. I think there were more opportunity there for Wilson that at times he was the alpha and that kind of go-to guy. And I think coming into last year, that was almost an expectation. Like, it's funny, Christian Brown almost hopped in front of the line there of the the order, the priority. Not that they actually care about this, but just because, like, you think of Jalen Wilson's redshirt freshman year, you think of Christian Brown's sophomore year. Like, clearly Jalen was ahead of the pecking order in terms of getting up more shots, being the go-to guy offensively. And whether it was just Christian taking this giant leap that's going to lead to him uh, likely being a, like a late first-round pick or something in the NBA draft and, and you know, uh, the great play of basketball that he showed, or if it was the start to the season that kind of got Jalen Wilson off a little bit slow. Because I remember hearing in the offseason how much of a terror Jalen Wilson was in these scrimmage settings uh, against other KU players. Um, you know, he is that alpha. He is that go-to guy. And the Kentucky and Creighton games really come to mind. That redshirt freshman season, he had 23-10 and 10 in both of those games. Like, he was your go-to guy in both of those wins for KU. How about all his effort throughout that February of that 2020-21 season in which, 
again, KU got a three seed bounce in the second round, so it wasn't like an ultra-memorable season, but they got hot in February into early March, and that was a big reason, uh, or a big, um, I guess, in part due to what Jalen Wilson did. 13.5 points per game, 11 rebounds, two assists in that month of February to help KU kind of go on that hot streak. How about the 20 points he had in Lubbock uh, against Texas Tech this past season? Things weren't going well for KU. That was kind of maybe his breakout game into conference play. I know they didn't win the game, but he was kind of your alpha in that game. He had 16-10 and 10 in Manhattan. I still view Ochai as the alpha that game. He had nearly 30 points, but he was as pivotal as anyone. Um, as much as we think of that home game against Oklahoma being the Zach Clements game, it was Jalen who led KU that game in both points and rebounds. He had 22-9. and nine. He was the guy that game. And the home game against Texas, uh, I think that's a game you think of David McCormick. He, he carried the team. He was great. And, and, yeah, Dave would deserve, like, your player of the game. But it was Jalen who led the team in rebounds that game. It was Jalen who led the team in steals. Jalen was second on the team to Dave in points with 17. And Texas was continually targeting Jalen at the end of that game to put Jalen on defense, and Jalen was phenomenal on that end of the floor. So, like, we have seen him step up in big moments. We have seen him step up as, like, the alpha in certain games, certain periods of time, that I don't have that question coming into this one. And so one of the biggest compliments I can pay him is just how nails he has been in the clutch for KU. Kentucky game goes for 21 in the second half. Helped the KU team that outside of him shot 24%. They win the game. Creighton game that year, he hits the game-winning three. How about his clutch play in the NCAA tournament? 12 points, almost 10 rebounds per game, two, over two assists. And yeah, he, he struggled a bit shooting the ball from the floor from three, but he was also nails on free throws, those big shots late in games that ice things away. He led the team in rebounds. He led the team in free throw percentage, 86% in the NCAA tournament. And then you think about some of the more individualized moments or games in the NCAA tournament. You have the Creighton game. He goes for 14 and 14, and he has that huge play that sealed the game. It iced the game. The rebound off the Ochai missed free throw. If they get the ball, I think it was a five-point game at that point. If they get the ball, go down, hit a three, all of a sudden you get got still a game. Jalen gets the rebound. It's iced from there. Against Providence, he led the starters in scoring. He had 16 points, 11 rebounds, grinded out game. He was huge. And then against North Carolina. He ties for a team high, 15 points. He has 11 in the second half, four of seven shooting. He makes huge plays. He s helps start the comeback, really. He is part of those, those huge and one plays that really feel like, oh my gosh, Kansas has a chance here, including the one off one of the most memorable runs we're ever going to have where you hit the three and then you get the steal. Jalen hits uh, the shot going down. Just to put it succinctly, I have zero questions that Jalen can't be the alpha, that Jalen can't be the big play guy, that Jalen can't be the player you rely on in the clutch or the best player on the team. I have no questions that he cannot be that guy or that he can be that guy, I guess is the way of putting it. I think he will be that guy, and it's such an advantage to have your best player be that clutch, be capable of making big plays late because you're going to need them to. And especially when you're at Kansas, you know, no pressure, no diamonds. Jalen's capable of carrying this team in that role and thriving in it. And I'm looking forward to what this season looks like for him. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Brian Haney talks Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic with us next. Welcome back into RCST. Derek Johnson here on KLWN and joined in studio by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney 
with the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic less than a week away now. We're going to actually be out. I don't know if we've announced this on the show. We're going to be out at Jefferson's on Wednesday doing a live show. We're going to have some T-shirts and other stuff we're giving away so you can swing by. Proceeds uh, going to a good cause, obviously. Game next Thursday and then plenty of other events through the weekend as well. Um, I know you were on Joel's show yesterday and you talked about kind of the the draft process here with the rosters and I'm sure still trying to, you know, kind of cross some T's and dot some I's with with certain things. But uh, we've seen other guys, you know, start to roll out with commitments and players that are going to be playing in this event. I'm curious, when when you guys do the draft for for the roster and and you can go through some of the new names or guys that have committed here uh, as part of this, but um, do you have like an early indication of of who you think you would be drafting first right now for one of the teams? Well, I I think while myself and Michael Mead, who's our 14-year volunteer who drafts against me, uh, and and he does all of our digital graphics. If you ever see something on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that's his work. He is so talented. While certainly we are setting out to win because we have a respective uh, interest in this, we have a steak dinner bet every year on it, um, at the end of the day, the number one objective is competitive rosters, we want a game that comes down to the last possession. And we've had some recent games that came down to buzzer beaters, but we've also had some games where it was 10 to 15 points on the final margin. We don't want that. Uh, So we do a really good job, I think, of making sure whoever makes the previous pick, the next guy gets a player that's very comparably talented and in many cases plays the same position. Or if it's a KU football player, if Brandon McAnderson went off the board, well then Derek Fine's going with the next pick. If a women's basketball player went off the board, let's say Kylie Kopadich making her debut, Danielle McCray is the next pick. Um, and, and you know if Ostertag goes off the board, we're going to have Cole Aldrich go off with the next pick because we try to base it on matchups and just the most even roster possible. This morning at 8 a.m., Terry Jacobson of Printing Solutions printed all the jerseys. So the hay's in the barn. We might add a guy or two late, and we'll have to do a, a last-minute jersey print but I had to get him the final, final rosters this morning. And last night around 11 p.m., Wayne Selden was traded to another team. <laughs> and that's a pretty big name, mm-hmm. which means if, if you can visualize like a scale. And what's trade back? We got future draft picks, cash true. considerations, oh, totally. what's coming back the other way. But if you visualize like a scale mm-hmm. metaphor here, if we move Wayne Selden from one pile to the other, that must mean something big just landed in the other pile. And when we'd had our draft a week ago, I had drafted Frank Mason. But we knew there was a, a hang-up that it might keep him from coming, and the flight wasn't booked yet, and it was, it was going to come down to the wire. And so when we got Wayne Selden at the start of the week, we moved Selden into the, the Team Haney or Team Blue team pile, and, uh, and that meant that you know he was probably going to be the gap filler for Frank, and we were assuming we weren't going to get them both. Well, guess what? We got them both. <laughs> so, so Frank uh, ends up on, on the blue squad. We move Wayne to a red jersey. And that's, that's just how we try to keep it balanced. If I was truly trying to beat Michael Mead in our <laughs> hypothetical draft every year with a steak dinner on the line, I would have kept them both. But we want a game that comes down to the wire, so Derek Johnson gets a buzzer-beating mm-hmm. three-point type shot to win the game call, and, and that's what we're all about. So we'll see. But we do have the rosters pretty much finalized. I think as we sit here today, we've had one megastar that we've announced on this show, had verbaled earlier and, and we're still waiting on a last-second confirmation, and that's Mario Chalmers. He's verbaled. It's, it's a logistical thing with his schedule, and that's the deal. You know, so many of these guys um, have so much going on in their personal lives, in their professional lives, like Darnell and Mario are both playing in the Big Three the following weekend. So we're hopeful to get them both. Darnell Jackson's booked and coming. 
Uh, Mario, we're hopeful to come, but we've got two Marios that we're booking flights for today, we hope. And we've printed the jerseys already, so if we get both flights booked because we've got the full green light, Little and Chalmers will be added and the rosters will be done with five days to go, which is great. And everybody that I talked to yesterday was still 100% in. That never happens. Something always comes up. Yeah, I'm still so, waiting. There There might be a hurdle. You never know. Knock on wood. Maybe. Maybe they didn't you want to break not, my heart yeah. the, the day before my birthday and they're waiting to break up with me. Yeah, by the Monday. way, happy birthday. Thank you. Appreciate it. But, but yeah, we'll probably get you know a guy or two that pulls out you know come come next week for whatever reason. But that's why we always overbook. You know, I think at this point we're up to forty seven players in the Thursday game. Players, coaches, that kind of thing. Greg Gurley is announcing the game, but he's a celeb in the building. So we're up to forty seven, I believe, for the dinner on Friday night, our celebrity dinner presented by Johnny's Tavern at the Birds Union. You know, we have thirty tables sold, but I will get thirty three celebrities committed because inevitably, Somebody's going to be late. Somebody's not going to show up. Last year, we had uh, you know a, a pretty solid commitment for bowling. Decide to fly home with the Morris twins on their private jet back to the West Coast, and we lost the guy. And there's nothing we can do about it because at the end of the day, are you going to bowl with B. Haney at Royal Crest, or are you going to get on a private plane <laughs> with the Morris twins and go back home? I won't say who that was, but I was like, oh, okay, uh, you're not coming. All right. Um, and, and we just had to roll with it. So we always overbook and we plan for, you know, one or two dropouts because that's just kind of how it works. But, uh, but yeah, we've got uh, 25 lanes sold for bowling on Saturday, which is a noontime kids invited type event. It's fun for all ages on Saturday. That's presented by Jefferson's. And you referenced Rock Chalk Sports Talk headed to Jefferson's next Wednesday for a live broadcast to preview the Round Ball Celebrity Weekend. How about this? This just in. Brandon Graham and Andrea Graham, the, the owners, operators, CEOs, CFOs, whatever, are donating 50% of everything sold, both downtown and West Lawrence wow. location, on Wednesday. Not just when you're out there, but all day long. The key is you have to mention round ball. They're not just going to do that for anybody. you got to say, hey, I'm here for round ball. But if you do that... And you eat a ton of wings and you know crinkle cut fries and drink a bunch of beer. It's Wing Wednesday, right? Absolutely. Then we're going to get fifty percent of that. Isn't that amazing? So these guys are so generous. They've been incredibly generous, and, and Andrea actually serves on our board. But they've been incredibly big contributors for years. Uh, huge hearts on them both. So support Jefferson's next Wednesday. Not only when Derek's out there, but all day long. And mention Round Ball when you do. Both downtown on Mass Street and at the West Lawrence location at uh, Bob Billings in Wakarusa. So that's going on with uh, Jefferson's. Johnny's, as I mentioned, presents the dinner. I think as we talk right now, we have uh, essentially two tables left and a couple of pairs of, of, of dinner tickets left. A pair of dinner tickets is 300 bucks. It's 150 ahead. A table would be 900. It's, it's six people plus the, the two celebrity guests, a player and his date. Uh, or her date, as it may be. Um, and so we, we've got some big-time names for that, too. And what we'll do at that dinner, for those that don't remember, because we haven't had one since 2019 because of the pandemic, but you get a cocktail hour from 6 to 7. Then dinner begins at 7, five-star meal, catered by KU. Um, and then we have a program begin at 7.30 where five guys go up on stage and they tell the untold stories of KU hoops. And we've got four of the five locked in. Our representative of the 2022 championship team is still a little bit in flux, but the four that I can announce to you today that will be telling the stories, which was, in my opinion, the best combination of both star power and personality. 
And this year, the, the theme is celebrating champions. You have to be a Final Four participant to be up on the big stage. You know, we would have loved to have made it all about 08 and 2022, but when Greg Ostertag comes back for the first time ever, that guy's got personality. You want to see him holding the mic, telling some stories. And same can be said about Devontae Graham. Didn't hang a banner for a national title, but he hung a banner for a Final Four. Great personality. You want to hear him talking. So uh, Sharon Collins and Darnell Jackson will represent the 08 team. We'll have Devontae represent 2018. Ostertag is representing the Roy Williams era. And then we've got a surprise up our sleeves for 2022, but we're still kind of finalizing that. So five legends up on stage. It's going to be a ton of fun with that. They'll tell stories. They'll have a Q&A. We'll introduce you to one of the kids, Fatima Gomez, who will absolutely steal your heart in a New York minute. Just the sweetest, most infectious, contagious personality you'll ever meet. And uh, she'll come up there and, and kind of tell you why she's so grateful to be picked as one of the round ball kids. And after that, after we pulled on the heartstrings, we ask you to pull on the purse strings a little bit and we'll raise the paddle and we'll try to you know, generate some real money. The Friday dinner is always where we raise probably 60 to 70% of the money for the whole weekend. Folks would think it's the game, but think about it. Even with the, the ticket right. cost going up to 15 this year, we're still selling you know, $2 hot dogs and $1 drinks, and it's, it's not a huge moneymaker like Friday can be. So if you're hearing this, first off, get your tickets to the game. We still have plenty of tickets left. Uh, really, the things that are almost sold out are the Friday dinner and the Saturday bowling. But there's still plenty of tickets at the 23rd Street Brewery here in Lawrence. You can just go into the bar there, look for James or Ashley or Matt Llewellyn or whoever, and say, hey, I want round ball tickets. They'll take care of you. And those are $15 a pop. And then if you're interested in the bowling or the dinner opportunities, the easiest way to do that is rockchalkroundballclassic.com. And uh, go to our website. There's all kinds of you know immediate clickable things to have you two clicks away from being signed up to bowl or to dine with these Jayhawks. But think about it, Derek. I mean, this is, uh, in the case of Friday night, three hours. Uh, in the case of Saturday, two hours of interaction FaceTime. This isn't like quick autograph, quick selfie. Like, this is literally spending two hours at the dinner table and then one hour of a cocktail hour on Friday. Or what I love about bowling is you get to bowl a full game with one guy, and then you flip lanes and, and bowl game two with the next guy. And, uh, and or gal, and it's a ton of fun. And you get those, those interactions that you wouldn't have at any other KU-involved event or any Big 12 event for that matter. I don't know anybody else that offers this type of you know, FaceTime and interaction with your favorite sports star. So we're excited about it. Hopefully folks will jump on board. And uh, they have to the tune of almost all tables and teams sold out. So act quickly to get those. But do gobble up the rest of those tickets. I think a lot of times people wait until game week to get their tickets because they don't know, well, who all's coming with me and all that. Don't wait too long because now that we've announced Frank Mason, Wayne Selden, Devontae Graham, Svi Mikhailuk, Malik Newman, Devon Dotson, Diedrich Lawson, Cole Aldrich, Sharon Collins, Darnell Jackson, Mario Chalmers, Russell Robinson. Who am I leaving out? Greg Ostertag. I mean, there's a ton of great names. We can run through like 90% of the rosters if you want, and I'll give them all to you. We're going to officially announce them on Monday once we feel like it's all locked in. But, I mean, we've got big, big-time names that if everybody gets on their flights and shows up on time, will rival any round ball roster we've ever had. So get your tickets while you can today. Yeah, each year it just continues to move up and up, and it seems like you best yourself every year, and every year you go into it going, how am I going to best that previous year? Um, I'm curious, who's the who's the kind of white whale, I guess, that – You've never gotten out to the round ball that, you know, if if just all 
moons aligned that if you could get out, that would be, you know, one of the biggest for, for just you personally. Yeah. You know, I got to spend some time with Paul Pierce back in um, September mm-hmm. up in Springfield, Massachusetts and kind of planted the seed then. It didn't work out for this year, but um, that would be big he's time. aware of the events. That's the one everybody always asks about. And then people ask about Joel Embiid next. Mm-hmm. And what you have to understand is, uh, A, he hopes to be busy this week every year of his career. He hasn't been so far, um, but I'm talking about making the finals. Mm-hmm. But usually by the end of an 82-game season and then a month of the postseason, like there are injuries to be healed. They're tired. They're exhausted. Yeah, especially for him. He had a what, broken face, broken exactly. eye, all these things. So, yeah. so, so a guy like that isn't likely to come back unless it's going to be in a coaching role. I didn't mention Yudoka Azubuki earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Yudoka's going to coach. Perry Ellis is going to coach. Wayne Simeon is a head coach. We got some All-Americans yeah. on the coaching side. Uh, and there's a chance that Lance Leipold is going to coach with, with Brett Ballard. He's going to confirm on Monday. He's helping out at some point during the three days. We just don't know which day Coach Leipold is showing up. But we've got some big-time names that won't actually take a shot in the game, but they'll be there to sign autographs and post for pictures and all that. So my point about Joel is if we ever get him back, it'll be to wave to the crowd. He won't play. They won't risk no. a $200 million contract. And now, you know, all these great crypto ads with Bill Self's voice <laughs> on them. Uh, they won't risk that on him, you know, going down in a charity basketball game. But people always ask, when are you going to get Pierce? When are you going to get Joel? Eventually, we will get Paul, I think. I really yeah. do. Uh, you know, the seeds have been sown. It's not this year, but, but soon. Uh, and then Joel, it'll probably have to take the end of his career, unless it's just a you know, wave like you're in a parade float type thing and, and sit there and sign autographs because they have too much at stake. Yeah, it's always fun to me, though, that, you know, you think of, like, the the one-and-dones is, okay, I wasn't here that long in, in the case of Joel Embiid and, and some of these other guys. And I, I think you see some of these guys who, even if they were here only for a short period of time, like, come back to this. And, and my favorite with all this is Ben McLemore because of the fact that, I, I get it, I guess technically two years, not really a one-and-done because he redshirted the one year. But usually, like, he's a guy who takes this event to heart so well and for a guy who was only at KU for, you know, that short of a period of time, and again, you have like other guys who maybe were only at KU for two or three years who come back to this event. I think that's really cool that, I don't know, I don't know if it's just an opportunity to get back, but whether it means that the community and that the city of Lawrence means something to them or that they get it what this event is all about, I just I find that to be a really cool factor of all yeah, this. I completely agree, and Ben's had such a great heart for the cause, and He's set up initiatives uh, in inner city St. Louis and, and other areas to do give back stuff of his own. And for a lot of guys that play in our game, their 72 hours in June each year is like the big thing they do philanthropically. Other guys, this is just one of many things they do. And Ben is one of those guys. Unfortunately, we don't have Ben this year. He had a, a prior conflict. I think he's in a wedding somewhere outside of the country, and it, it just didn't work out. We lose the Morris Twins and Macklemore from last year. But we added Frank Mason, Wayne Selden, Yudoka Azabuki, Greg Ostertag, and and Malik Newman, Diedrich Lawson. You yeah. know that we'd never and, had. and exactly and, that, and that's I, I didn't mean to bring up Ben because he's not playing. Oh, I, yeah. But like from that standpoint, Malik Newman, another guy. You know, only here for one or two years if yeah. you count the red shirt year. But you know, being able to come back and and feeling like this is kind of a a home away from home. It's it's just I, I think so cool that you get those tie ins. Yeah, no doubt, and and we appreciate that. You know, the guys that genuinely look forward to this weekend and circle it on their calendars. I mean, Devontae and I were talking about this three months ago, and then uh, we actually moved the weekend around a bit based on his schedule because he's kind of the linchpin to this whole thing. But he's the type of guy that wants to make sure he's able to come, and then once he commits, 
He's all in. Yeah. Okay, you need me to speak on Friday? I'll speak. You need me to bowl a turkey on Saturday? I'll bowl a turkey. <laughs> and Devontae, for anybody that, that has a chance well, to He's be probably a, as good of a recruiter as you can have to oh, get another guys terrific. as well, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and at the bowling event last year, he was grabbing the microphone saying, okay, if, if I knock down this next strike, 500 more bucks for the kids. And and if Svee doesn't get a strike, 500 more bucks for the kids. And he was coming up with these, these crazy wagers all in the name of philanthropy. He wasn't like actually gambling money to, for sport, uh, but it got it to be this contagious, infectious thing to where the football guys started doing it too. And then Todd Reesing and the football guys were betting against the basketball guys and, and all the money was going to go to the kids. And so we, we probably made five or 6,000 more just on Devante's gamesmanship bowling. And, and he didn't win the thing. Reesing edged Morningstar in the end. But uh, the fact that, that uh, you know, he got into it as much as he did really caused the rest of the room all kind of ignite and, and unite, and you end up raising way more money than you thought. And that's the beauty of this thing. That's something we can't do on Thursday with the basketball game that you can do on Friday and Saturday when you have the celebrity dinner and the celebrity bowling. It's amazing when the generosity of one or two sparks a wildfire of goodwill and, and deep-pocketed giving uh, around the room. And that's what we hope to see uh, on Friday night at the Celebrity Dinner at Bird's Union, presented by Johnny's, and on Saturday with Bowling, presented by Jefferson's at uh, Royal Crest Lanes. But, again, uh, most of those are sold out. You can still get in if you act quickly at rockchockroundballclassic.com to get a team or a table. But the big thing is we want to see you in the house on Thursday night. Sure, you can stay at home and listen to Derek Johnson on KLWN, but you'd much rather be in the house, get the selfie, no, no, get, get the autographs. No, the, no, get the, uh, the earbuds out there, and you can listen to the stream on your phone there while you you're there at the yeah, game. Perfect. There's the perfect way both. to do it. Yeah. But think about it. We didn't have autographs last year. Um, we didn't have a chance to, to get the in-person interaction because of the pandemic. And not that the pandemic is completely behind us, but things have opened up enough now to where we can return to some of those normalcy type of treats in, in the summertime of, of meeting and greeting these guys. So... We're excited about that. But, yeah, if you want to quickly run through some of these names, again, we'll have the full roster release on Monday. But, uh, I mean, look at this coaching roster for Wayne Simeon, first-year head coach, and his assistants include Yudoka Azabuki, Perry Ellis, Lester Earl, Matt Kleiman, uh, Calvin Thompson, and then Natalie Knight-Johnson, Elijah's wife, normally plays. I don't know if it's public what they have going on uh, with with, – Reason why she can't play right now, but it's all good news. Okay, uh, and I you know can probably fill hinting. in the blank from there. But it's yeah. maybe not my news to share. But I found out very recently that nope, she can't play, but okay. she's still all in on the cause, and it's good news. That is. So if, hopefully you, you catch my. Maybe we have another uh, Johnson in the uh, KU family in twenty years from now or so. We might. I'm not trying <laughs> to spoil anything, but but if you're wondering why she's not playing, she's played for five straight years. Well, she might be the best coach. She's an assistant coach at I think MNU right now, Mid American yes. Nazarene. So she's got the coaching experience. And, and she and Elijah, plays. you know, they, they do great work with with their local academy and the clinics they put on and all that. Elijah will be playing but his wife will not uh you know fill in the blank from there but but their team they've got greg ostertag in the post jeff graves the big gravy down low along with darnell jackson how about that front line right i mean you, you i'm got, just gonna say i might just take this team you know right? I, I know they're not playing but i haven't even got to the shoot. wing talent yet they got yeah. wayne selden uh you know they got sharon collins Svee mckayluke devon dotson billy thomas Malik Newman, Elijah <laughs> Johnson. This is all on the same team. That's Russell a lot of Robinson, shooting. downtown Terry Brown. This is all on one team. By the way, this is not my team that I drafted. Uh-oh. I, I gave them Selden last night. I'm reading this team out loud. Yeah, you're and I'm like, like, what did I do? Can I have Wayne back? 
Uh, so yeah, there you go. That's that's uh, Team Simeon so okay. far. And I, I left off a couple of names there. Uh, Danielle McCray, one of the greatest yeah. women's basketball players. In she played team. last year, I think, too. She did. Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they got a pretty stacked deck. Nick Bradford, uh, BMAC, Brandon McAnderson's on that team. So yeah, that's that's pretty exciting stuff. Um, Brett Ballard, head coach of the Washburn Ichabods, the original co-host of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You know, his work cut out for him against that team. He, he does. He, his roster's coming up next. By the way, B. Val and I started this show 20 years ago next month. I think we're five weeks away from the birth date. I think, I have to look this up in the KLWN archives, but I believe it was July the 10th of, uh, of 20, well, 2002. We'll have to do a celebratory so. week, see if we can get on all the uh, former co-hosts with Brett Ballard and Scott Pollard and all yeah. these guys. And Stalworth, see if we can kind of reminisce a little. David Lawrence, Todd Reesing, Aaron Miles, Alonzo Jameson. I mean, it's, it's quite a list, but yeah, uh, we'll have to do that. Okay, so, so Brett's roster. Um, Frank Mason in the backcourt with Devontae Graham and Tyshawn Taylor and Mario Chalmers. Wow. That's quite a roster. That's, that's a great backcourt, right? start. You've got uh, forwards on this team like the Lawson brothers, Diedrich and KJ. You've got uh, Travis Rutherford. You've got Cole Aldrich in the post. You've got, let's see here, uh, Brady Morningstar, Tyrell Reed, who once scored 40 in this yep. game. He's always good for— Mario you know. Little, who once scored 35 in this game. A lot of wing talent on this mm-hmm. team. Ron Kellogg, he'll be the oldest player this year. Uh, the, the women's player on this team is Kylie Kopadich. The football player on this team is Derek Fine, former Buffalo Bill. But, uh, but this particular roster, I, I don't know that they measure up in the post as much, although they do have Cole Aldrich. But think about those guards again with Devontae Graham, Frank Mason— Mario Chalmers, and then the wings of Mario Little, uh, Diedrich Lawson, a power forward. Jeff Hawkins is on this team. Um, Brady Morningstar, I think I mentioned. Tyshawn Taylor, Tyrell Reed. I, I think they can run it back and, and win it. Now, as I said, think about the two rosters here. I am getting a little bit of, of roster envy <laughs> now that Selden is on the other squad. But the jerseys have been printed. It's too late. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be competitive. And obviously, Devontae is... He is the master showmanship gamesman who will appeal to the crowd. He'll he'll make the extra plays late to keep it close. If he ever wanted to be a globetrotter after his you know Pelicans career was over, he's got that type of engaging personality where he could dump a bucket of confetti on your head or put the ball on a string or whatever. And I think he'll find a way to get his guys uh, competitive with this team, especially with Sfi on the other mm-hmm. side. Because you get into that, anything you can do, I can do better back and forth between those two, that's going to be fun. Yeah. I, I could see Diedrich Lawson going for a big game, too. Big man yeah. who can shoot. I mean, we, we've seen this before. It's not often you're seeing, you know, they're not running plays. They're not running sets where, um, hey, let's let's get it to this guy in the post and he's going to go to work. There will be a few times where the big men show off and stuff. But for the most part, it's, it's you know, kind of free-flowing transition game, dunks, three-point shooting, things like that that exactly. I don't think you have as much to worry about without, you know, if you don't have Wayne Simeon type of guy in the post. And what you have to look at is who's still playing professionally, mm-hmm. even if it's overseas. Who's still in shape? Like, you know, Mario and Darnell go straight from here to the big three. Yeah. Um, and, and other guys like Mario Little are coming back as we speak. He was just texting me a second ago, uh, flying back from overseas as we speak. Uh, so some of these guys are in game shape. They just finished, uh, you know, their respective seasons. Tyshawn Taylor has been locally doing a lot of uh, clinics and cannabis and stuff. He's in great shape. Cole Aldrich is now a cyclist. Yeah. If you know this. And Greg Ostertag is now a hockey player. Uh, <laughs> recreationally, he's not playing semi pro. But can you imagine him on skates? He's 7 2 already. 
Oh my god! Had like three or four inches on ice skates. I, that would be the most imposing <laughs> fast break. If I was the goalie, I was saying, what if he's just playing goalie? He just covers the whole net. Uh, no kidding. That wingspan. But uh, but yeah, I think a lot of these guys are still in good shape, and they're going to put forth some effort. But the guys that are still playing professionally, like Diedrich Lawson, Frank Mason, obviously the NBA guys that we've referenced, those would be the guys that tilt the scales. And I think we did a pretty good job of competitive balance on um, guys that are still in in playing peak condition, that kind of thing. But Wayne Selden and Malik Newman with Devon Dotson running the point, mm-hmm. uh, and Svima Kailuk. That's a lot of shooting. Power, a lot of right? shooting. Opposite of of Mason, Devontae Graham, Tyshawn Taylor, Diedrich Lawson. That's going to be interesting. It I, is. I think the big four on both of those teams, you could go back and forth as to who's got the inside track. Well, and I think you automatically circle every time you see the rosters. Who are the guys on both teams that when the game gets to the final three, four, five minutes, yeah. they go, okay, now I want to win. Yeah. And you have Frank Mason, Devontae, who you definitely know that'll be the case. Yeah. I think Devon Dotson, I think, um, you know, Mario Chalmers, like that'll be the case. There's other guys on both teams as well. But, like, I think you have kind of the perfect balance there that it uh, should be quite the Spee, contest. Speed, yes, but he's a little more passive. Yeah. He doesn't quite have the, the killer instinct that some of the other guys he'll have. I told this story somewhere the other day. I can't remember who I told this to. We had a situation three years ago where the competitive fire got so intense that and I'm not making this up or hyperbolizing, several guys told other guys they weren't going in the game <laughs> and to sit their ass down. Pardon my French, I'm just quoting. And and it got chippy at a charity event with all Jayhawks. Mm-hmm. There were no Missouri Tigers or K-State Wildcats. It got chippy on the sideline because these guys genuinely want to win. And they'll horse around for the first 30 minutes or so. But you get within the last 10 minutes of the game, and I was told about this after the fact and had to speak to both parties and be like, hey, remind them, we're here for the kids, you know, whatever. But that's how much they want to win. So when you talk about which roster has the killer instinct, which roster is going to go for the jugular in the last two minutes, I mean, that is a factor, even in a Globetrotter-esque, you know, NBA All-Star-esque type field There's game. There's a reason they got here. They're, yeah. they're very competitive, right? Totally, yeah. So so there you go. That's, that's a sneak peek, and... Uh, like I said, um, th- there might be one more surprise up our sleeve uh, that we've not announced yet publicly anywhere. Uh, but after reading those rosters, he's going on my team if we get it. Because <laughs> okay. it's my birthday, dang it. And I just gave away Wayne Selden last night. So, yeah. I think that's fair. I think it's fair. He's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. We appreciate your generosity with this, generosity with your time here on the show today. Uh, and uh, I guess we'll talk to you next week. I-, I think I'll see you out live at Jefferson's on Wednesday. Looking forward to it. I'm going to fast between now and Wednesday so I can eat all the wings. <laughs> 50% goes to round ball downtown and west side at Jefferson's. Big thanks to them. Get your tickets today, though. Laurentian's 23rd Street Brewery is the place to do it. Thank you, Derek. He's Brian Haney. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. Welcome back to Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Earlier today, I mentioned that I'm going to be doing a ticket giveaway for tickets to the Rock Chuck Round Ball Classic. Again, I think we'll do another one on Wednesday live out at Jefferson, so you'll want to come out to that. 50% of the proceeds all go into a great cause there, Um, but I'm going to, at the start of next segment, pick a winner for a pair of tickets to the Rock Chuck Round Ball Classic next week. We'll do that at the start of next segment. But first, we got to catch up with what's going on in the sports stock market here with our stock market closing bell. The stock market closed for the week. Let's see what's up. Let's see what's down. First up, up on the stocks for 
Nick Castellanos interrupting moments. Everyone knows about the Nick Castellanos home run, Tom Brenneman call. He's apologizing, and there's a drive to deep left field, Nick Castellanos. What has ensued since then has been a large display of Nick Castellanos hitting home runs, making big plays, interrupting key events in history, emotional moments that happen. And maybe it's just one of those things where it's, you know, once you're searching for it, it becomes more obvious. There's always bad things. There's always happy moments or or things that you hope don't get interrupted that are going on because there's so many people, there's so many things happening in the world at one time. So it's easy to make those things happen. You can't make this up happening, though, on the broadcast. This was on Memorial Day, and they're talking about this new, like, kind of shrine area, and this is what ensues. The gold chair, which will sit vacant here at Citizens Bank Park, honoring uh, those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Castellanos rips one to deep left field. It is and it's just that, of course, he like has, he has to hit it in left field. I, I don't think he can hit it anywhere else. Um, so honestly, if you are, you know, Nick Castellanos on the Phillies now as opposed to the Reds. Um, if if Nick Castellanos, you know, he wants to do well, I think he he needs like the broadcaster to say something else that's like going on and be off topic in kind of a, a sentimental way. And then it's just guaranteed that he'll have success. So if you're a Phillies broadcaster, you know, and, and the Phillies make the playoffs or something, every time he's up, I think that has to be uh, the ploy for success right there. Also, though, I, I think stop doing emotional things when Nick Castellanos is there. Now, maybe this got more attention around it because of that, but uh, this is without a doubt just kind of funny that that keeps on happening. Uh, stocks down on talking for your pet. Now, if you have a pet, most likely a dog or a cat in this situation, you probably talk for your pet. I do it. Everybody does it, right? You say, oh, well, you know, somebody went up to pet him and the dog does something and you say, oh, you know, she says thank you or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Um, or you have that conversation with your dog as if the dog is like responding to you. When that's not actually the case. But now, according to this article in the New York Post, owners could soon have two-way conversations with pets, according to scientists. The discovery made by Dr. Yossi Yovel um, explained to the to BBC Radio that bats' echolocation, the mixed frequency signals they emit to see, can also be used to convey social information. You might be saying, oh, well, who has a pet bat? Whatever. Um, but with the help of artificial intelligence technology, according to the doctor, people can begin listening to what other animals are saying, too, kind of using that as a base to the scientific study. So, you know, it's it's not that we're going to be able to hear all of a sudden, you know, your pet be like, hey, Kevin, good morning. I would like my breakfast now. No, we're not going to hear that. What you will be able to do is through this technology, but I, I have no idea like how close this is or, or how doable it is or like you know, is a is a collar that allows you to hear this? Is it going to cost like thousands and thousands of dollars that it's not going to be something widely consumed by a broader audience until the price goes down? Um, but it would be something where your dog would be able to translate like certain things like I'm sad, I am happy. But 
I think you can kind of already tell that one. You know, the tail goes bananas and stuff. And honestly, dogs are pretty good about being social and giving off like what their um, emotions, I guess, are to begin with. But um, I guess it's good for like cats who you don't always get the information from. You know, they can be kind of loners and stuff. But that is interesting because sometimes we do just have these questions. And you talk for your dog. You speak for your dog because you kind of humanize them. And you get the actual emotion. But it, it kind of takes out the mystery. It takes out the fun. You know what I mean? And that would, if we ever did get to a point where your dog actually could, like, talk and talk in, like, human sentences, I think that would almost be terrifying. It would almost be terrifying because it's, first of all, like, what if your dog, like, hates you? You know what I mean? Like, what if your dog is just, like, this idiot? Or is just, like, constantly, like, making fun of you? Or he's, like, super sarcastic to you all the time? Like, that wouldn't be very fun. It would take the allure away of dogs. There's, like, certain breeds. Like I said, just, like, mean thing. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Uh, stock is down on Mike Trout ever becoming MLB commissioner. Because he cannot even be commissioner of his own fantasy football league. The story, uh, as it goes, that we talked about earlier this week was Tommy Pham, Cincinnati Reds outfielder, slapped Jock Peterson. Just gave him a big old slap. And the reason why was he was unhappy with Jock Peterson in both the Fantasy Football League and their Fantasy Football group chat where he was sending, you know, gifts and things, kind of making fun of the Padres who he's on the previous season. Um... And in addition to, he thought, stretching the rules, he would put guys who were out on the IR of their fantasy league, and he thought that was against the rules. So he slaps Jock Peterson. Chaos ensues. We come to find out Mike Trout is the commissioner of this league. Mike Trout not patrolling, not policing the league hard enough. And on top of it, Tommy Pham just dropped out. He was in second place. He dropped out. It's like a league with a $10,000 entry. How do you let that happen, Mike? So, not a good start. Mike Trout, if he ever wants to be MLB commissioner, I mean, this is the small case study right there. If you can't even handle your fantasy football league with 11 other buddies, good luck to that. Uh, stock is neutral, though, on Mike Trout being edgy because asked to comment about all of this, being the commissioner and commenting on Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson, he declined to comment. No comment from Mike Trout, which Mike Trout, um, unbelievable baseball player, I'm sure great dude. Not edgy at all. Not like one of the more interesting athletes that you think about. And declining to comment was about the most expected thing, I would think, there for Mike Trout. So stock's neutral on a pretty neutral dude with Mike Trout and being edgy. Stock is down on Oklahoma softball. Maybe asking, what are you talking about? Oklahoma softball just won their first game in the College World Series yesterday. They are, uh, what would that be, two wins away, I think, from, I guess it depends. They, they play in the, the winner's side of the bracket. If they win that, then they'd be one more win away at that point from the College World Series final. Nonetheless, uh, they're right there. And you might be saying they're right there. They just beat Northwestern 13-2. to They just mercied them in that game of the College World Series. Why are the stocks down? They were down one nothing in that game. Again, you say, Derek, what are you talking about? They're down... Well, nothing. Who cares? They won the game by by 11. But that's like, if you have a, a 99% in a class, right? 
and you get a 98% on the next test. You had an A+, you got an A+, on the next test, but technically, the score you got on that test was lower than the score you got in class. You have set the bar so high. So technically, you get an A+, on the test, you got a 99%, now it goes down to a 98.7%. That's the case for OU softball. They came into the game 55-2. and two. They came in with 39 of the 55 wins coming by mercy roll. Just an absolute wagon, dominant team. They have outscored the opposition 528 to 50. That's right. They've given up less than one run per game. They're averaging over nine runs per game, almost nine and a half. Is the pitching slipping? You know, you're averaging, giving up less than a run per game. You give up two. Is there will to crush opponents right off the bat? Is that fading? Because you fell down one nothing. Did you have to make it harder for yourself because you're getting bored? By blowing out all these teams? These are all questions that the masses are asking. So overall, you know, they'll probably ride through, win a title. I mean, they play Texas their next game, who actually did give them their one regular season loss, and then they could potentially meet Oklahoma State in the title game because they're on the other side of things, and Oklahoma State gave Oklahoma their one other loss. It came in the Big 12 tournament. But that's basically what happened here. Oklahoma had a 99% in the class. They got a 98% on the test because of the rough start. So it goes down to a 98.7. So technically, ever so slightly, stocks down on Oklahoma softball. Absolute unbelievable team. I mean, that that has to be like in the running for one of the best teams, or one of the single season team performances in, in college sports history. It's not that much of a hyperbole. 55 and 2. Like this is this is not basketball where you just out athlete every team or football where, you know, Alabama goes undefeated. Like softball and baseball, weird things happen. You're just going to lose some games off weird randomness. No, they're 55-2. and two. Uh, Last one. Stock is down on the NBA three-point line. So last night, NBA Finals, Warriors leading most of the game. Looks like they're going to give kind of the haymaker to the Celtics. Celtics, they'll battle back at the end of the third quarter. And then the fourth quarter starts, and the Celtics just hit another gear. I think they started 7-7. Seven of seven. From the three-point line in the fourth quarter, they end up just blowing out Golden State in the fourth quarter. They win the game by double digits. Um, I think 120 to 108 was the final score. At one point, it was 120 to 105, and that was after Golden State was up, I think, 103-100. So you finish the game on a 20 to five run, which at one point was a 20 to two run, and it just continues a trend of all these playoff games being blowouts. I think it's. It's 41, I could be wrong there, 41 of the 79 or so playoff games. Again, that could be off. I I know it's over 50%. Over 50% of the NBA playoff games have been decided by double figures. There has been an alarming amount of games, not just that, but have been decided by 20 points or 30 points. We're not getting close games down the stretch. We're just not. And it's... Like, we're getting long series if you just look at it as like, oh, but this one went six. This one went seven. Like, Mavericks Suns went seven. Heat Celtics went seven. But, like, outside of a game or two, and and even in that case, like, that might be too much. You're pointing to a lot of these series and going, yeah, but every game in the series was a blowout. Like, none of these are leading to good competitive basketball games for the final two to three minutes of the game where we're getting this back and forth. And, and look, the game last night, was back and forth for a majority of the game. So it's not like it was just a bad game. It's just we're not getting good finishes. And 
you know, you you look at what is happening, and, and last night might be the exception. Boston hit 21 threes in the game, um, but Golden State did hit 19. So it's not like Golden State wasn't hitting any. But what we are seeing that's leading to a lot of these blowouts and, and one-sided finishes is that it's just whoever is on from three that specific game is dominating whoever is off or whoever is just not completely on. And that's what happened in the fourth quarter specifically. But again, overall for the game, you would say it wasn't that big of a three-point discrepancy. The reason why is because, you know, in, in years past, you go a decade back or maybe even less than that, you'd have teams taking 20, 25, like 30. If you took 33s in a game, that was seen as like the high end of things. Now it's like if you don't shoot 33s in a game, like get on the bench because we need you shooting threes. And now you're seeing teams shooting 40, 50, sometimes 63s in specific games. So when you have a higher volume, if you go 20 of 50 from three, if you're on that night and the other team goes eight of 25, that's 12 made threes. That's 36 points that you have to account for in a math game that makes it so difficult to come back. Whereas in the past, if you were, even if a team did take, again, 30, and they went 12 of 30 from three, which... I believe is is about the same percentage as, as 20 of 50. And um, the other team went just four of, tw- or, or, you know, six of 20, which is below your percentage. It's not impacting as much of the game because of the pure volume there between the threes. And so what happens is when you have one team that's on, one team that's not, it's just leading to these blowouts. And so it's, it's not like an... If anything, it's a compliment to how good shooting has gotten. It's it's a compliment to how good the shot makers have become and how hard it is now to play defense in the NBA with the amount of athletes and spacing and amount of shot makers and tough shot makers that are out there. But if this is the result, they're going to have to do something with the three-point line. Seriously. Like, you're either going to have to move it back even further or I, I've seen this pop up from a couple different places, and I, I can kind of get on board with this. You get rid of the corner three. So essentially what would happen is the three-point arc would just jet out from the out-of-bounds line, and there would be no corner three, which is the highest percentage of three. It's one of the highest taken amount of threes. It would lessen the severity of these blowout games where there's one team just tilted over the other in three-point games because that's all this has become. It's just a three-point shootout. Who can generate the best three-point looks? Who can make the most three-point looks on that given game? And I don't think that's the idea of what the three-point shot was was supposed to be. It became something where with analytics, you realize, well, why would we not be taking all these threes? And I don't blame anyone for the amount of threes that is happening, and and I don't want to be old man, get off my lawn um, because of the fact that you know, it is the more efficient way in a lot of cases to win basketball games and, and score and all these things. But if you alter it a little bit to where it's still an important part of the game and you still need to make them, but now all of the sudden there is a bigger emphasis on doing other things to win the games and you have less of that distance between one team making so many more threes than the other that it leads to these blowouts late in games, I think that would probably be a good thing for the league and that's what we all want to see here. I don't have a dog in the fight between the Celtics and the Warriors. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way, but I just want good close games, and we haven't really been seeing that over the course of the NBA playoffs. So stocks down on the NBA three-point line. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We've got more KU track and field audio to play for you heading to the national championships in uh, Eugene, Oregon next week. That on the other side.
We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including t-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool, and they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, that's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Shock Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. If KJ Adams is logging legit minutes at the four position and not the five, then maybe you do get into a situation where Jalen Wilson is playing some three ball next next season. I don't know why I said three ball, just at the three next season. But again, a big part of that comes down to what's the shooting around them because if if KJ Adams is kind of a non-shooter and Dewan Harris is more of a selective shooter, and then you have at the two and three like Kevin McCuller and Jalen Wilson, and both guys are kind of inconsistent shooters, that lineup isn't going to work offensively. But if Jalen comes back and he's hitting threes at a very high rate and, and improves on the consistency there, same for Kevin McCuller. Or you have a lineup where it's Jalen's at the three, Grady Dick's at the two, who we know is going to be a good shooter. And you have Joe Yesifu at the one who's shooting well, or Dewan Harris improves his shot, and Zach Clements is at the five, or Cam Martin's at the five, and they're stretching the floor. Then maybe that is a possible lineup that you could do that. And maybe we do see brief moments where Jalen Wilson is at the three. One thing we haven't really talked about is do we see any minutes of Jalen Wilson at the five? And I'm very intrigued by a potential lineup where you have. K.J. Adams and Jalen Wilson is your two bigs, quote-unquote, and you have one through five are all guys who can switch and also all guys who can grab a, a rebound and go and all can pass. Again, it comes down to what's the shooting going to be like on the floor, but that lineup very much intrigues me. I, I don't think we're going to see Jalen at the five, to be clear. I think we are. I, I kind of expect the majority of the four, but I wouldn't be that shocked if we see you know, a handful of minutes here or there given to him at the three positions. You can find more minutes for K.J. Adams on the floor at the four. But again, all that goes back to what is this going to be like shooting, whether it's K.J. Adams improving as a shooter, Dewan Harris improving as a shooter, Javon Wilson improving as a shooter, Kevin McCuller improving as a shooter, how good is Zach Clements as a shooter? Like, there's just a lot of shooting questions. and It's not just that, oh, if one of those is answered, you can make that work. You need multiple of those answered to make that lineup work. So we'll see what happens there. The other follow-up question I have with this is, who could Jalen most impact in terms of minutes played by him coming back? Because if Jalen didn't come back, obviously if you're a wing, if you can play the four position, or again, going back to it, the three, it obviously means more minutes for you potentially to have. I think when you look at the battle between Grady Dick and MJ Rice, it's very interesting. I, I expect both to play sizable minutes and be big parts of the rotation. But I think it sets up now that probably only one of them is going to be a starter. If either of them, who knows, maybe it'll be, you know, instead of playing an extra wing, it'll be an extra point guard as the other starter. I don't know. Um, but it's probably one of them at most. 
because you expect Kevin McCuller, Jalen Wilson, and Dewan Harris to start, and then you have a center, so there's only room for one more as far as being a starter. Again, I think whoever's not a starter still plays a sizable role. But how big of a role could be slightly impacted by Jalen because if Jalen is playing you know, a majority of the four minutes and then the backup four minutes are going to KJ and maybe you're getting some minutes at the three um, with Jalen Williams, there's eating some minutes away there. And then some of the minutes that the two are being eaten away by a second point guard on the floor at all times with Joe Yasufu and Bobby Pettiford. Then that's not a lot of minutes left over. And then you, you take away the minutes for Kevin McCuller. You start losing minutes pretty quickly. Like just, just to give an example here. Let's say Dewan Harris plays 30 minutes at point guard, which you could convince me it's going to be 35. Like we've seen Bill Self with point guards he trusts who are veteran guys play lots and lots of minutes. But let's say it's 30 minutes for Dewan Harris at the point guard, right? Let's say uh, between Bobby Pettiford and Joe Yesifu, they combine for 30 minutes. And again, that might be low. You can convince me one of those guys plays 25 and the other plays, I, I don't know. Again, I'm just going conservative here. That, that totals up 60 minutes between those two. You only have 40 minutes at the point guard spot. So that means now 20 minutes of your shooting guard spot are allotted or your, your second guard, however you want to term that. So now you have 20 minutes to give out at the other lead guard position. You have 40 minutes to give out at the three. You have 40 minutes to give out at the four. Let's say 35 minutes for Jalen Wilson. Okay? I mean, I don't know. You want to be conservative? He was slightly under 30 this year. Let's just go with 30 if we want to be really conservative. But I think 32 to 35 is probably a better expectation. But again, just to make the math easier too, we'll go 30. Let's say KJ plays the other 10 at the backup four. Um, and then KJ's giving you, you know, another five to 10 as a center. I don't know. Nonetheless, I'm not worried about the center position here because that doesn't impact what I'm talking about. Your four minutes are done. Your one minutes are done. You have 20 minutes to give out at the two. You have 40 minutes to give out at the three. That means you have 60 minutes to give out on the wing between a combination of Kevin McCuller, Grady Dick, and MJ Rice. And if Jalen is playing, say, let's say he only plays 25 at the four, so that the other 15 go to KJ at the four, and then the other five minutes to get Jalen to his 30 or at the three, that's five less minutes. Now you only have 55 minutes to give to Kevin McCuller, Grady Dick, and MJ Rice. And if McCuller, veteran guy, plays 30 minutes a game, now you have 30 minutes to divvy out between Grady Dick and MJ Rice. You can see where this becomes a bit of an issue to get everyone a sizable amount of minutes. You can agree with or disagree with anything I said with this guy's going to get this amount of minutes. But let me just say this. Go do the math exercise yourself. You're going to find that somebody is going to be on the short end of the stick here. So that becomes very interesting to me how that kind of all works out. And then... You know, K.J. Adams is the other guy of, of who gets impacted most by this. I mean, you can make a real case that K.J. I don't know. You could make a case K.J. could be the starting five. You know what I mean? Like, he he was in the, the championship game at the very end. It was him who started in the Texas Tech game at home at the five. I don't think Zach Clements ever got a start at the five this season. Um, K.J. was trusted on the defensive side of the court, which if you're trusted on the defensive side of the court for Bill Self, that means a lot. That impacts a lot of your playing time. It just is going to come down to 
you know, did it just not work out because you have a guy, I think ideally long-term, KJ is a four, and you have a guy in Jalen Wilson who comes back who's going to take up most of those minutes at that position, and you have a roster around you where the biggest question for the roster is shooting. So, like, it makes sense if you were to say, okay, KJ played in more games than Zach Clements, which also Clements was injured. KJ came into more trustworthy moments than Zach Clements this past season. So why would he not be ahead of him in the depth chart? That might be true. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Again, he, I love KJ Adams. I think he's going to be a future Big 12 defensive player of the year if he sticks around KU for a couple more seasons. I just, I wonder if it's, if it's junior season KJ Adams when the breakout comes because of the fact that even though he was ahead of it, it seemed like in the depth chart on, on Zach Clements this past season, it was on a team where you had Christian Brown, Ochag, Baji, Remy Martin, guys who were on the floor for a majority of the time who could really stretch the floor and shoot the basketball. That stuff could end up happening for this next year's team. It's just there's more questions about it. So if the shooting doesn't come together, it will limit the amount of lineups that KJ can play. But if Grady Dick is playing a big amount of, or a big role on this team and he's shooting as, as good as people think he can and Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller's shot comes around and Dewan Harris improves on his shot and you have more than enough three-point shooting to get by, then yeah, I think KJ will play a very big role on this team. And I'm very high on what he could potentially be. Otherwise, I think it would just be more about you just happen to be on a team where a guy came back who's going to be your best player at the same position you play and also that the roster fit around you wasn't as good as the season before. But either way, I'm very high on what the long term, whether that comes this year or comes another year after, would be for K.J. Adams. I just think he's probably one that could be very much affected, as are those freshman wings with Jalen Wilson's return as far as figuring out the rotation. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. 